morning, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. In just a few moments, we're going to begin looking at verse 15, and we'll inch our way all the way to chapter 3, verse 1 this morning, okay? So Exodus chapter 2, as we'll begin in a moment in verse 15. And let me set the context for you. You come to this passage and you recognize that the context is one of failure. When you get to Exodus chapter 2, you recognize there are failed efforts, there are failed plans, there are even failed dreams. And even as I speak that, even as I mention the theme of failure, I recognize how that will resonate with so many of us who are here on this campus and who are watching online. I mean, that theme of failure is something that we have experienced in our lives. What one person here or online has not experienced some type of failure in his or her life? All of us can relate to this. All of us know those moments. Maybe we had true hearts and good intentions, and yet we moved in our own time, and we moved in our own methodology in order to bring some type of solution. And what did we do? Well, we made a mess of things. You know, we messed up, we failed, we blew it big time. Anybody here can give testimony today of just messing up in life? Even though you had good intentions, even though you thought you knew the purpose and you knew the plan, you still messed up. Well, if you were in this place or you're online and you experienced that sense of failure, I want you to meet a guy named Moses. Because when you look at this passage, you see a guy who failed who messed up. Now Moses, God's deliverer, I mean, this is the one that has been assigned to such a great task to deliver the people of Israel. And yet, he moved in his own time. Now you would think, as after 40 years, God would have utilized this moment. Now, last week I talked about waiting for God to give you the go-ahead to be able to do what he has called you to do. But think, Moses is 40. I mean, you've been, he's been waiting a long time to act. I mean, 40 years, basically. And yet, he still acted in the wrong moment with the wrong methodology. It wasn't quite what God intended or what God planned. But God continued to work. And what did God do? Well, God began to teach him even through his failures. God began to show him lessons, lessons from the desert. Look, if you will, in verse 15 of that second chapter in the book of Exodus. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Just stop there for a moment. It says that Pharaoh heard about Moses' attempt to lead this rebellion, this insurrection. Remember, Moses had killed this Egyptian. He had killed this Egyptian in hopes that he would be able to bring the people of Israel together and there would be a great deliverance for the people. That's what we saw last week. So he had acted in what he thought was the right purpose. And yet, when Pharaoh heard about it, well, Pharaoh issued the arrest warrant. And before you know it, Moses is traveling. He is running. He is a fugitive. You can imagine all the wanted posters that they had put up and they had listed the crime as murder and treason 
Because not only had Moses killed someone, he had tried to betray the Egyptian kingdom. So Moses was on the run. And where does he end up? Midian. Now, many of you have that last book of your Bible, right? The book called Maps. Just kidding. But you remember in the back, you can look at some of your maps, and you probably can see where Midian was. It was just across the Red Sea. I mean, Moses travels a long way to get away from Pharaoh and the danger that was there in Egypt. He goes all the way over to Midian. He is in a place of wilderness. He is in the desert. At the age of 40, he just found refuge in this, in this bleak desert area. And yet, here's where God is going to speak. Here, here is where God is going to continue his education. Because, because Moses might have a great education from Egypt, but God is about to give him a greater education in humility, in dependence, and in, in endurance itself. God's going to give him an education. You know, God often takes us to the wilderness to teach us lessons. He takes us to the desert to teach us lessons. When I was studying this this week, I noticed that the Hebrew word for desert is midbar. Midbar. Some of you look very impressed. I'm sure online you look just as impressed as these folks here. But the Hebrew word is something like midbar. If you look, the word, the Hebrew word for speak or word is dabar. Dabar. In other words, if you were to take those Hebrew roots, you would find that the word desert and the word speak, they share the same Hebrew root. Now, I think that's cool because it is in the desert, it's in the wilderness that God often speaks. It's not during your success moments. It's not during the glorious moments that you celebrate. It's in that dark moment of the wilderness that God will often speak to you. That God will often teach you. Here Moses, and later on in the New Testament, Paul. Remember this about Paul? We miss this part of his preparation and ministry sometimes. Remember, after he's saved, what happens? He ends up going to a place called Arabia. Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul, who had all of this giftedness, just like Moses did who had had all this education as a rabbi, just like Moses, in a sense, had that education. But God took him to the desert in order to prepare him for what he had for him. See, God often will lead you through that wilderness. He'll lead you through those failures. He'll lead you through that desert so that he can speak to you, so that he can teach you, so that he can bring you lessons from the desert. So what's the first lesson? The first lesson is humility. Look again in verse 15. It says, And he sat down by a well. He sat down by a well. So he gets to Midian, and he just sits down. He's kind of been on the run, and I'm sure he had sat down before and spent a night or two here or there. But the Scripture says that he just stops and he just sits down by the well. And can you imagine how the thoughts just caught up with him? Have you ever had a moment where you just sat down and all of a sudden the thoughts just flooded your mind? Like it was okay as long as you were busy, you weren't thinking about those things. You were working, but all of a sudden you sat down and it all caught up with you. I bet it had caught up with Moses. 
I bet the disappointment had caught up with him. I bet the sense of rejection had caught up with him. I believe that he was discouraged and hopeless. And here he is, allowing those dark thoughts to come into his mind. He's mulling over. He's mulling over what? The rejection. God had humbled him through rejection. Remember, he had been rejected by his own people. Didn't the Hebrews know that he was only acting on their behalf? I mean, didn't they know that he loved them? They were his brethren. He was just working for them. Why would they reject him? Have you ever had anybody like you felt like you were just doing what you thought was the best interest of them? And yet they still, they, they still didn't understand. They actually rejected you. They pushed you away, but you were just trying to help. That's the way Moses felt. He was just trying to help. Now, there are people that can humble you pretty quickly. Through the years of my church ministry, I have found some people that really believe that their spiritual gift was criticism. You met some of those folks before? Yes? You work with some of those people, maybe? And they had that, like, gift of criticism about them. And they could humble you in a heartbeat. They could humble the pastor. They could humble anybody else they came in contact with. They had that way of bringing humility, rejection. Here, here, Moses had been humbled by the rejection of his own people. But perhaps he might have even thought about the rejection that he had felt from God. Now, you and I may say, no, no, God didn't reject it. But I'm just telling you to put yourself in Moses' shoes as he sat there that day. Because he knew he was supposed to be the deliverer. I mean, that's pretty evident in Scripture. He knew that he was going to be the one who would release the people, bring the people out of their bondage. And now he had tried to do what he thought he needed to do, and it's like God was against him. It's like all of a sudden God had rejected him. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because some of you wouldn't know whether you should or you shouldn't. But how many times do you feel like I've blown it and it's like God just has removed himself from me? And here, Moses must have felt some type of rejection. Was life's purpose over? Was the plan that God had for me, is it gone? You see, it's always hard to get perspective in the now, isn't it? I'm talking about when you're going through the things, it's hard to get perspective over God's plan. All you can see is the here and now. And when it looks so bleak, it's very difficult for you to think, oh yeah, oh yeah, God's got a plan, God's got a purpose. And remember, Moses is 40. 40. I was reading about that age, that season of an individual's life and many people will talk about the age of 40 and even maybe to 60 it's like the most productive years of your life I don't know I'm struggling with it a little bit myself I'm trying to get more productive but that's what he said 40 years and now at the prime of his life where is he he's in the desert and he's going to be there 40 more years God Rejected him. You see, God had humbled him through the sense of rejection. But God had humbled him also through the relocation itself. Get this. You lived in Egypt. Now you have moved to Midian. 
I mean, this is like going from New York City to Dubak. It's different. I didn't say Dubak was bad. Don't give me letters again this week. Didn't say that. No, a lot of you who are sitting here, you're from the Dubak area. I can already see God. Well, you're not listening to anything else that preacher says. That's, that's just the way it is. Nope. I'm just giving you the difference. You're talking about this cosmopolitan area of Egypt, and then all of a sudden he moved to Midian. And what I found out in Midian, it doesn't matter about your Egyptian education or your Egyptian power. It doesn't matter about who you knew over in Egypt. It didn't matter about all that you had accomplished on the battlefield. It didn't matter about all those things because those things do not matter in the wilderness. God was teaching him humility. Humility in the very relocation that he brought into his life. And then he taught him humility with a ministry restart. What I call a ministry restart. God began to teach him humility. D.L. Moody, some years ago, wrote this, and, and you, you all probably have heard it. If you've ever heard a study on Moses before, you've heard Moody mention this. D.L. Moody said this. He said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. He spent the second 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody. And then he spent the third 40 years of his life discovering what God could do with a nobody. I love the way Moody put that. Because basically, again, in Midian, he's a nobody. He's a nobody. He might have been the prince of Egypt, but he's nobody in the wilderness. And God has cut him down, and God is bring, bringing humility to him in this passage. Even with a restart, even with a reassignment of his purpose and his ministry. You find that in verses 16 through 17. Look at it with me if you will. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. So Moses is here by the well. It's a gathering area this is where people would come you would come to the well if you're in the wilderness you would find a well you needed water so people would come and what happens is he is reassigned in his purpose there's a ministry restart remember he's supposed to be delivering the whole nation of Israel he's going to deliver all of the people here what does he do he is relegated to delivering a shepherdess and her sheep that's what he's relegated to would you say that, that God had reassigned his purpose, but God also had narrowed it down just somewhat? You'd gone from being the hero of all of Israel to now you are the hero of the shepherdess. She had gathered there with her sisters. But Moses acted as he could. And don't you see this? Don't you see Moses' heart here? See, his heart is for the oppressed. He had, seen, he had seen his people being mistreated over in Egypt, and he wanted to step up. The same heart here. He saw these shepherdess as they were there, and the 
And the shepherds came and tried to drive them away. And what did Moses say? Moses said, no, not on my watch. You're not going to mistreat these ladies. You're not going to mistreat these individuals. And he stepped up because he had a heart of helping others. So the grand idea of deliverer had just worked its way out in the practical experience of helping somebody else. God sometimes will humble us in those reassignments so that we can see those small things that God has for us so that he can humble us and train us. And you and I should look at those opportunities. We may have grand ideas of what God's going to do in our life. You've got to start with those lesser responsibilities before you're able to fulfill those greater responsibilities. I love the way Matthew Henry said it some years ago as he wrote about this passage. He said, Moses loved to be doing justice and appearing in the defense of such as he saw injured, which every man ought to do as far as in it is in his power or the power of his hand to do it. He loved to be able to do good. Wherever this providence of God cast us, we should desire and endeavor to be useful as well. And when we cannot do the good we would, we must be ready to do the good we can. What a statement, huh? That when we, we can't do the good we would, you can't deliver the people of Israel, you do the good you can. That God puts right in front of you. God's got to humble us sometimes in our assignment so we can see that we have the opportunity right now to fulfill His purpose and His plan. He can reassign us. And He can humble us. Can you see what God's doing here? Is teaching humility to Moses. And what God is going to accomplish is forming him in such an image that he can truly utilize him. He's humbling him. It's a lesson of humility. It is a lesson that I have stated this way. Until you are content being a nobody, you can never be a, truly be a somebody. You can't. You and I have got to be willing to be a nobody. Obscure for the kingdom of God. Before you're a somebody, you've got to be a nobody. God's got to humble you the way that only he can. Let me give you the lesson number two. First lesson is humility. Lesson number two is dependence. Now, humility and dependence go hand in hand. I got that. But there's a little more here to this idea of dependence. So look at verses 18 through 21. It says, When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So basically, dad, Ruel, which we also know as Jethro in the scripture, he says, what are you doing home so early? So, well, we got there and we had some help. There was this young, fine Egyptian young man that helped us. And Ruel says, well, why didn't you bring him home? Wouldn't, if a guy like that you've met, you should bring him home. Sounds like a good young man. Maybe one of y'all might get married. Bring him home. Bring him home. Let's eat. They bring him in, and it says in verse 21, Then Moses was content to live with a man. And he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. So here's Moses in the middle of nowhere, and he becomes dependent, first of all, upon the family of a pagan priest he's dependent upon Ruel 
He's dependent upon this family. Now, I can't stand the idea of being dependent upon somebody else. That's just me. I just cannot stand it. Like, when I was growing up, I said to myself, I will not be dependent upon my parents the rest of my life. I I thought I'd get some amens in this place. I'm sure there were some amens online or there in the gathering. I mean, I did. I said, God, I have seen too many who still rely upon their parents for their livelihoods and for their God I don't want to do that my dad has worked hard and I've seen him and God I pray that I can work like he has and I can provide for my family because I do not want to be dependent upon other people and that's a great great idea especially hey I'm teaching it to my children hopefully that's a great thing but sometimes we miss how dependent we are upon other individuals. Even though we're trying to be independent, you and I are all dependent upon some people. And we're dependent even upon God. And that's what Moses finds is a sense of true dependence in the wilderness. He married the daughter of a pagan priest, and then he worked for his father-in-law. I mean, that will humble you in a heartbeat, will it not? I see some of you have done that. Some of you... That working for your father-in-law, I don't think mine's watching this morning, which is probably a good thing. But I cannot imagine having to work for my father-in-law. He was a principal when I was a senior in high school, and I had to work in the office for a little while. And I started dating his daughter. And there were several moments, I'm convinced he tried to intimidate me. I'm convinced. When somebody gets paddled right in front of you and you're the witness, I think he's trying to intimidate me. I can't imagine. He works for his father-in-law. And what's, what's worse, he is in the shepherding business. Some of you say, well, there shouldn't be anything wrong with shepherds. Well, you and I may not think there would be, but the Egyptians did. Go back to Genesis chapter 46 when Joseph is advising his brothers. Joseph says, hey, you tell them that you are shepherds because what they're going to do is they're going to put you out in a land totally away from the rest of civilization. They're going to give you Goshen because they don't want to be around you because Joseph says, the Egyptians hate shepherds. That's what he said in Genesis 46. So (laughs) here is Moses, who had been raised in an Egyptian palace, out in the flocks, keeping his father-in-law's sheep. How dependent can you get? And as I said, it's not just dependent upon his father-in-law and that family. is dependent upon God. He's dependent upon God for what? For provision. Have you ever been in a desert? You ever been in a wilderness? You don't see just natural resources teeming. That is things that will nourish you. You don't see that. There's barrenness. There's emptiness. A few years ago, Leslie and I got to travel to Israel together. And then we went over to Jordan and we came back around and we went down the Sinai, which is over in Egypt now, the Sinai Peninsula. We went down through there. We were on a bus, obviously, 
And it was nice, air-conditioned, all that kind of stuff. But as we're traveling through that area, Leslie looked out and she said, this is basically the area that Moses led the people of Israel? I said, yes, this area here, he had made this little trek. She said, no wonder they complained. I mean, there's nothing here. There's nothing. It's a desert. It's a wilderness. No wonder there were complaints. There's nothing in the wilderness. There's nothing in the desert that you can depend upon except God. And God is the one who provides. Don't you know that? Hey, you and I, we, we know God, God's the one who provides, but there are moments when he has to teach us the lesson again, that we are ultimately and totally dependent upon him. Totally dependent upon him. Even for the blessings of his life. Verse 22 of this chapter says, And she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. He said, I'm an alien. I'm an outsider. This is not my home. I'm a stranger here. And yet God was still providing. Not just the daily nourishment that he needed, but also the purpose of his life. Now, verses 23 through 25 are kind of parenthetical, kind of stops for a moment, sees a big picture. I'm convinced Moses wrote this. So here Moses comes back and he puts this down because God is not only providing the nourishment, but as Moses will reflect upon it later, God is providing the purpose. The purpose still. Look what it says. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. So get this, right in the middle of the story about Moses, how he gets married and he's dependent upon God and dependent upon this family. Right in the middle of that, we're reminded that God is still actively working for the benefit and the good of his people. Moses might be in the desert and he cannot necessarily see all of God's activity. But God's still working. Here a few moments ago in our service, we did. We sang that Waymaker, right? Even when we can't see it, he is working. In the desert, a lot of times sandstorms will prevent us from seeing exactly what we should be able to see. But I tell you that even if a storm is blowing around you in the wilderness, God is still actively working for your good and his glory. God's still working. That's the purpose of those verses, is that God is going to continue to use Moses. He's going to continue to work. He's providing for him. He's providing purpose. Later on, I want to read this scripture, because later on, Moses will reflect upon this and reflect upon the people's experience in the wilderness, and he'll speak about how God provided, how God provided daily for them and gave them exactly what they needed. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 2. Moses is getting the people ready. Remember, they'd been wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses was getting them ready. And this is what he said. And you shall remember 
that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know that what, what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Remember, the people of Israel, they'll be in the wilderness 40. And what is Moses? Moses said, hey, God put you right here to humble you and to remind you that you are totally dependent upon him. That it was because of the manna that he fed you every day that you were able to go through this moment. It was because God was still keeping you. It was because God was working in you. And how could he say that? Because he himself had been in the wilderness for 40 years and he knew exactly what God was doing. And when he comes to this point, after being another 40 years in the wilderness with the people, he is able to say from his personal experience and from their experience that God had been teaching them those lessons from the desert. Humility and dependence. And Moses needed to hear dependence because, as I said last week, he is so gifted, he is so talented, he has everything going in his favor when he's in Egypt. And that's the reason he chose a self-empowered scheme instead of a God-empowered plan. Sometimes God has to humble us and teach us that we are totally dependent upon him. That's the reason he takes us to the wilderness. My friends, until you are content with having nothing, you will never have something. Until you are content in the wilderness to see that you are totally dependent upon him... You will never know what he has truly in store for you. Let me give you lesson number three. And lesson number three is endurance. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 of Exodus. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Endurance. He took care of the sheep. He followed that flock around day in and day out. He led them. Where did he lead them? Here it says that he goes over toward Mount Oreb. Also, we know that as Mount Sinai in the scripture. So I told you that Midian is there across the Red Sea, kind of around where present-day Saudi Arabia is. Mount Sinai is basically over here in the Sinai Peninsula. So he goes all the way up, and he comes all the way back down. Wow. He's going to be with those sheep every day, and all that rugged ground, and all the things that come his way, and he's going to stick with it. Is that not endurance? That you're going to stick with it? I mean, there are going to be some times I probably would have been ready to check out of leading the sheep. Now, he probably had them all named. You know that, right? Problem had them all named. What lonely conversations he must have had out in the wilderness with his sheep. He probably looked at little old Jim over there. And he said, Jim, Jim, may I tell you about my great exploits, about how I was victorious over the Ethiopians before I was 30 years old. Maybe you looked at little Jim. You know what Jim would probably say? Bah. 
That's not much conversation. Maybe at night, maybe at night Moses would say, Hey, look at all these stars. You know, I took a course in astronomy, Lydia. And Lydia, if you look up at those stars, that one over there, Lydia, are you? But, oh, may I teach you the great communication form we call hieroglyphics? I learned this in the University of Egypt. And Sam, I'd like for you to, to, to be able to read one day, maybe. I know it's far-fetched that a sheep would read, but would you work with me? Bah. It must have been frustrating. It's frustrating working with sheep. But he stuck with it. He endured. He would keep going and keep going, even if he had to go all the way back around, back toward the Sinai, to find what was necessary for their provision. He'd keep going. He'd keep going. I have learned one thing in leadership. You got to keep going. No matter what comes your way. Endurance. You got to keep enduring. Can't give up. You can't give up. Moses would learn that. As later on, I think David would learn that. It's always been interesting to me that God took a little boy named David out of a flock of sheep in order to be able to lead a flock of his people. It was kind of like shepherding. That shepherding process prepared both of them to lead people. Because as Moses would go back eventually and lead the people of Israel, he would lead basically two million sheep called Israelites out of Egypt. And we know, because we have the book of Numbers, we know that they complained endlessly. Can you imagine all the baths and the baths that he got from those people? But he had already been prepared because he had been out with the flock of Jethro, the flock of Ruel. And God had allowed him to, God had allowed him to develop endurance, perseverance. Oh, yes. I say it again, that God allows you to be faithful in the little things so that he can use you for greater things. If you're not willing to serve the sheep of Ruel, you're never going to be able to truly serve the sheep of God. So God was teaching him. Winston Churchill once said that success is your ability to go failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. I love Winston Churchill. I probably would rephrase it this way, though. Success is your ability to go failure to failure without losing your endurance. But you'd keep enduring. You'd keep going on. And God often takes us to the desert to be able to teach us that endurance. He takes us to the wilderness. Now, it could have been our own fault. Don't get me wrong. We may have failed, because yes, often we do. But God is able to take our failures and redeem them for His glory and our good. Even in the midst of failure, God's going to teach us. And He can teach us humility, dependence, and endurance. You and I, we all have failed. It's called sin. 
And that's the reason Jesus Christ came on our behalf. To die for us, to be resurrected, so that he could give us forgiveness of our failures. Forgiveness of our sins. But also so that he could show us exactly how we could learn from the failures that we've experienced. How we could be humbled and dependent and we could be the enduring individuals. Because this is the way I summarize it. I give it to you again. Until you are content with being a nobody, you will never be a somebody. Until you are content with having nothing, you will never have something. And until you are content going nowhere, you will never go somewhere. Those are the lessons from the desert. And maybe even this day, God is teaching you. God's trying to awaken you to those realities of your life. If you failed, you're in good company. Moses, Reggie, many others, you're in good company. But allow God to show you the lessons from the desert. And may you become humbled. May you become more dependent. May you become more enduring in who you are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word that just challenges us. God, for those who are here in this sanctuary, those who are there in the gathering, those who are watching online, God, many of us, we have blown it. We admit it. Lord, certainly we blew it in our sin. And God, I pray that everyone that hears the sound of my voice through whatever means possible this morning, that they will feel conviction of that sin and that they will turn to you. If they've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they will get down right now where they are and that they would pray that you would come into their life and make a difference. God, for those of us who are saved, God, the failures have not necessarily stopped. We know our sin is forgiven, but God, we know we still blow it from time to time. God, what we pray is that you would teach us the lessons from the desert. That you would humble us. That you would help us to be more dependent. That you would help us be people who will endure. And God, that we would look more like you each and every day. God, thank you again for the salvation you've offered through Jesus Christ. And thank you again for the empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives us each day to live for you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.